It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1010 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. With only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. The Hawks lose game two in Philadelphia on Tuesday by a final score of 118 102. It was probably closer than that for a lot of the game until the fourth quarter, where there was some certain garbage time down the stretch. The Hawks trailed by 18 in the first half and then actually had a pretty valiant effort to come back. Ultimately took, took a lead by one point in the third quarter, but from there, it was a 30-9 to run by the Sixers to kind of put the game away. The Hawks struggled to get stops the entire way. They could not stop Joel Embiid in this game. Shake Milton had a, a pretty wild effort at the end of the third and the fourth quarter for Philadelphia. Trey Young struggled by his standards anyway for Atlanta. And the Hawks just could not get enough defensive stops in order to secure this win. So we'll dive into the game as we always do. Thank you as always for joining me, and please subscribe to the podcast. Um, pre-game... No huge surprises. Joel Embiid ended up playing, despite being listed as questionable. Uh, DeAndre Hunter did not play. He was listed as questionable and was a game-time decision as well for Atlanta. No update that I'm aware of about Hunter, so we will see what happens from here. As I've been trying to say for a while, there's definitely a cloud of mystery around Hunter's knee, so I have no insight. It's not been shared publicly, and uh, you know, I, I, I see all your questions. I don't really have the answers to them, and that is where we are on Hunter. Uh, elsewhere, You know, still Reddish, Dunn, and Goodwin out of the lineup for Atlanta. Of more injury stuff probably on the next podcast, but we'll dive into the game now. Focus our time this evening on that. Our friends at Battleline.ag closed the Hawks as six and a half point underdogs on the road in this game. It was five and a half or so most of the day until MB was in and Hunter was out officially. Then it went to six and a half, and obviously Philadelphia ended up covering that at the end of the game. Uh, also, before we dive into the first quarter today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, 2.6 carbs. We can only enjoy the games a little bit more this season. We'll dive in now to the first quarter and beyond. And obviously, as I sort of alluded to earlier, this is, uh, it was a lot of Philadelphia. 
at the outset. Uh, filling a dunk within seconds of the first uh, tip-off. They put Trey Young, uh, sorry, Ben Simmons on Trey Young um, at the outset. That was pretty effective, or at least relatively speaking, for Philadelphia. It was a 12-2 run by the Sixers out of the gate in about three minutes. The place was definitely rocking in Philadelphia, and they were uh, certainly excited to see that kind of run out of the gate. I kind of expected that. You know, maybe not that level, but Philadelphia was not just going to roll over in Game 2, quite obviously. Um, but Donovich actually made the first two shots for the Hawks, but he was only 2 of 7. The Hawks were 2 of 13 in the first five minutes of this game. Uh, they trailed 23-6 to six at the outset, and also Philadelphia scored 18 of their first 20 at the paint, sorry, in the paint, and they were getting wherever they wanted to. It was not the best game in the world for Capella or Collins near the rim, and uh, that is tough defensively, and not only stopping him B, but just kind of even stopping penetration and all kinds of stuff. They were letting Philly kind of do whatever they wanted to in the first quarter. They had to call two time two timeouts in the first seven minutes or so, stop the bleeding, and that was uh, somewhat effective, but not a ton. Um, they did score four in a row after the second timeout with Herter hitting a floater and then Trey hitting a, a lob to Capella, but not a whole lot of positivity there. Rotationally, they started Solomon Hill in this game, went to Herter pretty quickly, and then uh, Capella got his second foul actually pretty quickly as well, about uh, four minutes left in the first quarter. They went to a Kongwu. They had Gallinari and Snell, who played very briefly. Uh, Snell didn't last long because he got hit in the face by Embiid. And Hill came back in briefly at that point in time. Snow was diagnosed with a lip laceration. He had three stitches, but was available to return to the game. And they even play Young and Lou together at the end of the first quarter. Um, there was one bad in beat sequence. Uh, he was awesome in this game, but there was one late in the first quarter that I made note of where he had missed two free throws in a row. Then he sort of missed a pretty makeable post-up shot. Then blew a coverage defensively and let Gallinari go to the rim, kind of unimpeded for a dunk. But other than that, not a whole lot positively. Um, Hawks fans are definitely pointing this out, and I want to do so as well. Not a whole lot of whistles on Philadelphia in this game overall. They were not called for a foul until the 135 mark of the first quarter, which there was. I don't think there was anything like terribly egregious, but certainly you're gonna have your eyebrows raised when there's not a whole a whole lot of whistles going on in a in a team's home building when they're down 1-0 in the series. Um, the Hawks trailing by as many as 18. They were back in it a little bit, down 13, 33-20 at the end of the first quarter. A pretty big three late from Gallinari in the first. But the Hawks were pretty bad offensively in the first quarter. That was probably the only time in the game they were really bad offensively. Um, as I sort of alluded to earlier again, this is a defensive loss for Atlanta, I thought, overall. Uh, there were some bad moments offensively uh, you know, early on and then probably in that stretch in the fourth quarter. But for the most part, they got whatever they wanted, um, at least within reason other than Trey. But it was not a situation where they could get stops, and that was a theme throughout the game. Philly had 24 points in the paint in the first quarter. That's a wild high number. And Tobias Harris had 16 points in the first quarter. And turnovers were not um, coming the way they were in Game 1 from Philadelphia. Um, the Hawks did have their, had one of their better runs of the night early in the second quarter. They actually played Trey the whole first quarter, and he came back in with Bogdanovich. Um, sorry, no, he sat, he sat, and they came back They came back with Bogdanovich and Collins, actually, at center at the outset of the second quarter to try to make a run, and and actually, that's what arrived. It was a 13-2 push by Atlanta to open the second quarter. Gallinari hit a three. That prompted a timeout. Gallinari actually, actually had 10 points in his first eight minutes, and Philadelphia's bench, which was much better in the second half, was quite bad again in the first half. That's an opening for Atlanta that they sort of drove through. Um, Herter, Herter was great in this game, uh, had a nice block shot, led to a dunk in transition, and then Gallinari hit free throws to get down to four. So most of the damage there was kind of mitigated by Atlanta's first big push. 
Philly scored two points in the first five minutes, and the Capella and Embiid exchanged pretty big dunks. Um, I think rightfully Hawks fans were pointing to the fact that Embiid got away with a push off on his, and Capella's was awesome with his, with his left hand. But that dunk from Embiid kicked off a 9-0 run by Philly to go back up by 11. That was uh, kind of a brutal stretch for Atlanta. They lost Seth Curry in transition for a three that you can't. He's the one guy you can't lose, and they lost him a few times in this game. Um, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And B got his third foul, an offensive foul, with about a minute to go, and that was a controversial play because Gallinari kind of shoulder bumped him, not not anything huge by any means. And Embiid kind of lost his mind and retaliated. It ended up being a double technical foul, which doesn't seem right to me. I guess that might be the letter of the law after after the review. That was what was called. That was a bad break for the, for the Hawks, though. Definitely not equal actions, and to have that punishment be exactly the same, double technicals, not great. I wasn't expecting them to throw Embiid out of the game necessarily, but I'm not sure why Gallinari got a technical foul in that spot. Um, but there was actually a pretty big swing for Atlanta in the final minute of the first half. Um, Curry misses a layup for Philly, and then Herter and Gallinari hit threes back-to-back, and that's swings the game down to a two-point deficit for the Hawks. So after all of that, the Hawks did not play well in the first half, and they're down by only two. So you gotta you have to feel pretty decently, actually, at that point in time. They shot the ball pretty well in the first half and had 11 turnovers before halftime. Herder and Gallinari, though, saved the Hawks. They had 30 points on 15 shooting possessions in the first half. That means every time they took a shot, they averaged two points on it. That is impossibly good. Um, Herder was perfect from the field in the first half, 6-for-6. Six six, but the Hawks, once again, could not solve the Embiid minutes. They were minus 16 in the first half with Embiid on the floor and plus 14 in six minutes with him beat off the floor. Um, but the other big stat from the first half was that the Hawks bench outscored the Sixers bench 32 to nothing. Now, 30 of those are Herter and Gallinari, which I've argued, you know, those guys are basically starters. Um, Herter probably should be starting right now in this series with Hunter out. But regardless, 32 nothing in half from the bench was uh, one of the reasons why the Hawks were able to hang in this game despite some uh, suboptimal performance in the first half. All right, we'll dive into much more second-half stuff, takeaways, individual stuff, all of that as we always do on the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of which is Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is brand new checking accounts where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can daily win. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and there are free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money, progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC, maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at rockauto.com. 
With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com all right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game. And, uh, you know, early going, pretty positive. It was tied. And after, again, they raced that huge that huge deficit, down 18 in the first half, to be tied, 59-59. That was pretty positive. But there were two big runs in this quarter, one by each team. It was 14-4 by Philadelphia in the early side. Uh, Solomon Hill missed a three pretty badly. He did not play a whole lot in this game. I think that, that might have been the final straw, <laughs> at least in my mind, when Solo uh, barely drew rim, if at all, on an open three. Now, to be fair, Danny Green did return the favor with a bad miss right after that, but it was pretty ugly from Solo offensively. He's just not being guarded for the most part. Uh, this is obviously a pro-Solo podcast, but offensively, it's just kind of tough in this series. Um, and Herter is obviously so much better. Um, they brought Herter back in even earlier this time as a result of that. Uh, he was <laughs> just awesome again in this game. Three-point play midway through the third quarter from him. And then he had a turnaround jump shot. When you know it's your night, Herter had a turnaround for, I believe it was his eighth straight make that bounced at least twice off the rim. It was I'm not sure how it even went in, but he was just so hot at that point in time. And that helped to key a 12-2 run by the Hawks to take a 80-79 lead. So after all of that, down 18, a 12-2 run, and you're up with 241, their first and I believe only lead of the entire game at the 241 mark of the third quarter after free throws by Trey Young. And in that stretch, you had threes by Bogdanovich back-to-back, which were huge shots. So, you know, you're up one for 14 minutes to go, and uh, you're in fine shape. The Sixers actually did close, the, close though, pretty well. And I, I wonder how much, I don't, I don't want to attribute too much credit to this, but there was a big shot um, by Shake Milton uh, at the buzzer. Uh, Shake ended up being one of the big stories in this game, but his first contribution was a 36-foot at least that was the official box score reading, buzzer beater to put the Hawks down seven when they cut it to four. And the Hawks were awesome in the third quarter offensively. So 52% from the floor, two of three from three, five of five from the free throw line, and only three turnovers in the fir- in, the, in the third quarter um, only. So that is awesome offense. Like, you're going to be in great shape when that happens. It was kind of a slow pace in the third, but those numbers speak for themselves, and the Hawks um, pretty much dominated offensively in the third. I say that because they lost the quarter by five points. It's hard to lose the quarter by five points when you're that good on offense, but they couldn't get stops. Philly shot 61% from the floor, hit four threes, and they were eight of nine at the line. So when I say it was an offensive an offensive game that was totally fine for the most part for the Hawks, this is really what I'm saying. It was a defensive loss because they just could not get stops, particularly in the third quarter. Like They made their run, but the fact that the Hawks played that well and still lost the quarter is kind of indicative of the entire game, quite honestly. Um, they did stagger Young and Bogdanovich. They actually sat Bogdanovich for about a minute, then brought him back in when Trey went to the bench late in the third. But, um, you know, no calls with the offense. They just couldn't get enough stops in that period. Then uh, the final stretch, basically, to put the game away in retrospect now, was the 
bench run, at least the bench fueled run by Philly in the early portion of the fourth quarter. They scored the first 11 points of the fourth. So it was a 14-0 run overall, dating back to the buzzer beater by Milton. And the Hawks are suddenly down by 18 with under 10 minutes to go. And that's it. You know, uh, it's, it's obviously an awful stretch. A lot went wrong. Shake Milton going crazy. Um, I am, you know, I'm kind of famously uh, always been high on Shake Milton. But even then, he was he was terrible in game one. And he's been kind of out of the rotation for large portions of the recent past for the Sixers. And no one would have thought he would be doing what he did here. 14 points in short order for Philly. I was surprised that Nate McMillan left Young on the bench through a timeout that he took in the middle of that run. I'm not sure it would have fixed anything, but it did surprise me. But, you know, that's that's just kind of bad luck. Um, Milton going that nuclear. He had another three later on, and the Hawks are down by 19 with eight minutes to go or so. At one point, from the third to the fourth quarter, Philly scored 28 points over the course of 14 possessions. Again, do the math there. That's two points per possession for 14 in a row. That is impossibly good offense slash bad defense, basically. And you're going to lose if that happens. Uh, this is a stat from John Schumann of NBA.com. But at one point in the second half, the <laughs> Sixers had 57 points on 40 possessions, which is about one, almost 1.5 per possession, and no turnovers over 40, over 40 possessions. And, you know, that's just it's tough to overcome. We'll just say that. So the Hawks, again, led 80-79 to in the third. From that point forward, it was a 31-9 to run from Philly to go from down one to up 21 and there you go. They tried to go offense only down the stretch to cut the to cut the gap. That was the right decision to bench Capella and go faster. Um, there was an eight to two push by by the Hawks at one point. You get, get, get down to fifteen. It was um, at least semi threatening with four minutes to go after threes by Young and Gallinari. I said this before on Twitter, but I would have been following fouling Ben Simmons immediately when he came back in the game. The Hawks didn't do that. They waited a while. They finally did it though with three nineteen to go, down by seventeen. So it was probably over at that point in time anyway. But they did it once. Simmons missed both free throws, and the Hawks didn't capitalize on the other end of the floor. But then Philly called timeout. And because they were up, up by so many, they had no risk of just taking him out. So they just took him out at that point in time. And, uh, you know, there was no run coming from there. The bench emptied late. Uh, I don't want to overstate it, but even then, I think I'll, I will attribute this to Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. But um, when you're down big, Philly has a giant you know, red X with Simmons, where it's more of a strategy that you want to increase variance to foul automatically. And I hated it in game one when they were winning by eight points. But if you're down 15 in the fourth, that's like the number one time to to foul Ben Simmons. And I think Philly, know that, Philly knew that. They let them out of the game for a long time. They brought him back in for one possession basically when they started fouling him. And that was it. But just something I wanted to at least note. But again, you know, the numbers in the fourth quarter are kind of skewed because there was a lot of garbage time. Like the last three or four minutes were basically all garbage time. They all scored 18 points in the fourth. So that drags down their overall efficiency numbers for the game. But trust me when I say this, when they when this game was still competitive until like the five-minute mark, the Hawks' offensive numbers were totally fine in this game. It was defense that was the problem. So we'll dive into that, um, you know, as, as we always would on the show. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my synopsis on where we are here. But I guess we'll just do this now. Um, so the Hawks turned the ball over 18 times. That was the one, um, we'll say, black mark on the offense was ball security. That led to 28 points for Philly directly. And that was the exact opposite of Game 1. Remember that Philly had 12 turnovers in the first 14 minutes of Game 1, and they really, really, really battled ball security issues the entire game. This time, it was Atlanta doing the same. Philly had two turnovers up to halftime, only had one for the first, like, quarter and a half in the second quarter, in the second half, I should say. So, uh, advantage Philly there. Um, that's something that I think will regress. Philadelphia is not going to turn the ball over, especially they did in Game 1. But if there's one issue in their numbers and their profile for the regular season even, 
Philadelphia does have some ball security issues, so that might come back to bite them at some point. It did not in this game. Um, points in the paint, advantage to Philadelphia. They cooled off a little bit after 24 in the first in the first quarter, but Embiid was uh, unstoppable in this game. Um, true shooting wise, 61% from the Sixers, even with the uh, cool off in the fourth quarter. The Hawks did win the glass in this game. It didn't really matter a whole lot, but at least they didn't get pummeled there. And that was the one, uh, you know, bright spot defensively probably was that they, they did not allow a whole lot of offensive rebounds. But, um, yeah, we'll kind of stop short of the short of praising the defense. Um, Philadelphia scored about 1.22 points per possession in this game, which is an elite figure. It was up it was up over 1.3 until, like, midway through the fourth quarter. So that's a more true reading, actually. Um, and, you know, it's tough. Obviously, Philadelphia is not always going to shoot the way they did in this game. Seth Curry was 5 of 6. He's capable of doing that. He's an awesome shooter. But Shake Milton was four or five, but you know the rest of the stuff. You know Danny Green's one of five and beats two of five. Harris Harris only took one. He was zero of one. Maxi zero of one. Tybal zero of one. So it wasn't like totally fluky. The Milton stuff was fluky. Don't get me wrong, but they shot twelve twenty six. You know that's obviously above their head, but nothing like completely outrageous. They got to the line twenty two times and beat missed four free throws, which doesn't always happen. That was a, a little gift for Atlanta. But still, you know, there was not a whole lot to be excited about. 20 fast break points, which is, which is a ton for Philadelphia. A lot of that's the turnover from the Hawks, but still, that's a problem with Simmons not even doing a ton in this game. Simmons had four points. I thought, I actually thought, I actually thought he was okay, but, uh, you know, four points, yeah, we'll leave that there for now. But, you know, again, offensively, we'll get into the individual stuff in a second, but the Hawks shot the ball okay. They were 11 of 30 from three. Um, the two guy, you know, the one guy that struggled really from three was Trey. He was one of seven. But if you take Trey away, the rest of the team was ten of twenty-three. Like you're gonna have to take that all day long. Um, free throws, fifteen of eighteen. Like they only took four fewer. That's nothing crazy either. But only twenty assists. That's not um, not their best effort, especially with eighteen turnovers. Um, points in the paint, about their league, about their season average. So nothing, uh, you know, crazy low there. But you know, again, I think offensively it was not a huge problem, other than Trey struggling a little bit. Uh, and Collins not having a big game either. Um, you know, the, the huge games from Herder and Gallinari definitely helped off the bench, which, which we'll get into in a second. But, um, yeah, my synopsis, bad, bad defense for large portions of this game. Offense was okay, and that's not a formula that's going to win you a lot of games at this high of a level. All right, before we get into the individual stuff in this game and much, much more, I work from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, and we'll go down to the individual stuff to wrap up the podcast. And obviously, you know, the Hawks had all kinds of trouble dealing with Embiid, and uh, I will call this the uh, Shake Milton game in a lot of ways, but we'll go individually through the Hawks as we always do. I will kind of cross off the guys who played only garbage time, Nathan Knight, Bruno Fernando. To- uh, Tony Snow played a little bit more than that, but uh, three minutes for him. It's Skylar Mays, two minutes. Um, not a whole lot to say about those guys. Even Snell, like, he was going to play more, I think, than this but ended up having a lip laceration, did come back in for the garbage time at the end, but uh, all went from the floor and zeros across the board for Tony. So a pretty short bench. Okongwu played six minutes. Uh, He had one mishap on a Joel Embiid pass fake that made the rounds, and he looked like like a rookie in that moment. He was okay, I thought. He didn't kill them. He wasn't good. He had two rebounds. He did have two fouls as well. did have a block shot that was was pretty nice, but um, kind of a low-key effort, and they went with Collins uh, in the second half. For good reason, because they were trying to catch up, and that was the right decision, I think. Lou Williams was not his best in this game. That's a line four times, uh, which definitely helps a little bit. But six points, one of three from the four, 50, 15 minutes, one assist, three turnovers. Defensively, it was kind of a mess. So, you know, I, Lou made a bunch of plays, and I think had a great stretch in game one. You're hoping for that more often than not, but this is not his best work. And it, it, it kind of goes to show that the, the floor is pretty low for Lou, especially defensively. If he's not if he's not going to have it going, it's just kind of tough to play him very much. And then uh, Gallinari and Herter were both very good. Gallinari, 21 points, nine rebounds, two assists in 30, 26 minutes, I should say. 7-15 from the floor, 5 of 9 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. I Defensively, he's not good in space at all. He's okay in, in short areas. He kind of held up reasonably well around the rim, but um, it was pros and cons. Like I don't think he was probably as good as the numbers indicate, but he shot the ball well, and that helps. Um, you know, I, I think Herder was better for sure, but uh, th- those two guys combining for 41 points off the bench was uh, a big part of the Hawks being able to hang around for as long as they did in this game. Uh, again, Herter was incredible. 20 points, two assists, two rebounds, uh, two block shots as well. Did have four turnovers, a couple of mishaps with, with the ball in his hands, but was actually plus four. And 36 minutes, 8 of 10 from the floor, 3 of 5 from 3. It is very hard to play 36 minutes off the bench in both halves. So basically, he took over for Solomon Hill and played the vast majority in both halves once he came in. Um, and I think they might start him in game three. That's just a guess. But if, if Hunter can't go in game three, you probably would have to. I, I, I would certainly start Hunter if I had to make that choice in game three. Um, to the starters, Solomon Hill, I mentioned before, but uh, not his best night. No points. Minus 18 in eight minutes. Yikes. Uh, 0-2 from three. Um, again, I'm, pr- I'm pro solo in general, but he is obviously overextended starting in the playoff series against a good team. Um, Herter is so much better. I, I, know, I, don't, I know that McMillan is a big fan of keeping guys in certain segments and certain lineups and all that stuff, but I would just go to Herter, play him as much as possible uh, if Hunter is if Hunter's unavailable. Um, John Collins struggled in this game. I don't think he was quite as bad as people thought he was, but he was not good either. Eight points, ten rebounds. They have two blocks, fouled out in 35 minutes, 4 of 11 from the floor, 0 of, th- 0 of 1, I should say, from 3, no free throws. Um, he was active enough on, all, on the offensive glass, had four offensive rebounds, that was to leave the team. 
Uh, defensively, not his best in terms of uh, help side stuff. He wasn't he wasn't too bad. I actually think that Capella probably should uh, earn a little bit more of the ire that Collins was getting. Um, Collins was still not very good, though, in this game. And sort of invisible at times, not, not making a huge impact offensively. I wish they would give him the ball more often. There were some lineups that actually worked, though, with him and Gallinari off the bench. And that's why he was actually the best plus-minus of the starters in this game. But I, I don't think he was his best. Nor was it, nor was it quite as bad on uh, on a rewatch as uh, people thought that it was in this game. Uh, Capella, 10 points, 8 rebounds, 3 turnovers. Um, offensively, not a big factor. Defensively, uh, Embiid is doing whatever he wants to Capella. Which isn't like... You know, it's, not, it's not unique. Uh, Embiid is incredible. But Capella has not shown the ability to slow him, really, in any, any, any meaningful way. And then defensively, you know, when Embiid's down on the court... You know, the Hawks have done a pretty good job, but it's mostly bench versus bench at that point in time. Then offensively, he's not really, I mean, aside from just lobs, and Philly's playing a lot more size than normal. So it's not not a great Capella series overall, but so far through two games, it's not been his best work. And then the backcourt. Bogdanovich, 41 minutes, that's a lot, but I understand why in this game. 14.7 rebounds, two assists, and a steal. Um, he was not incredibly efficient, 16 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3, as I could talk. Um, but yeah, it's he had a couple big shots. He was the only guy who made a shot in the first five minutes of the game, although he was still uh, pretty pretty much getting him out. He was actually 2 of 7 in the early going. Um, I don't think he was incredible. A couple of transition defensive issues for the Hawks overall, but he had, he had a few that I noticed that were kind of high-profile gaps in transition defense, but, um, you know, not his best, not his absolute worst either, but they need more from one of those two backcourt guys, if not both. And then Trey Young um, did have 21 and 11, so you can't say he was too, too bad, but by his standards, I thought he was pretty poor in this game. One of seven from three, five of nine on twos, which is not too bad, but um, eight of nine from the free throw line, 11 assists, four turnovers. Defensively, um, was not, he had one, he had a couple of nice digs. He actually had one steal that he created that I thought was uh, pretty active and pretty impressive defensively. But um, not consistent. Transition stuff was kind of faulty at times. And then offensively, just didn't have the same kind of impact. Um, you know, we'll see what the counter is for Game 3 and beyond for Trey. But he'll have to be better for the Hawks to win this series. No question about that. He was obviously awesome in Game 1. So they'll look to see if he can find that again in the future. Um, you know, again, the Shake Milton game here, I don't want to focus on it too much. But um, all things equal, if the Hawks had not had, had that barrage happen to them, it might have been a a contested game in the closing minutes of this game. But that's not what happened. And we will uh, head back to Atlanta for Friday's game. That's a long wait here with two full days off, Wednesday and Thursday for travel. But Friday night, Hawks Sixers, that'll be a pivotal game in a lot of ways. The Hawks will be the underdog in the series now, again, uh, at least in the betting market. Atlanta does, though, have home court advantage. That's still worth pointing out. Um, Philly actually started the game um, as the betting favorite slightly, according to our friends at Benalanda AG. So with the win, I expect that to be a little bit larger for game three, but the Hawks, if they win, can take can take control of the series again. So we'll see what happens there. We'll have at least one one podcast, potentially two, between now and the uh, next game on Friday evening. Please subscribe to the show. I've actually already getting, uh, begun recording with my uh, guest for tomorrow, so stay tuned for all of that stuff. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about the show. Um, yeah. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 